morning church. So today's Bible reading will be from Mark 13 verses 1 to 37 and it's on page 825 if you're using the church Bibles. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm in the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that caused desolation standing where it does not belong, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or, Look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
As soon as its twigs gets tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see those things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for Jesus who tells us about the future. Uh, Father, you are God, and you are in control of all things, past, present, and future. And as we come to today's passage, grant us, Father, ears to hear and eyes to see that Christ is Lord, and he will return to take us home. For I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you ever get the chance to visit Rome, uh, there are lots of places you should visit, uh, such as the Colosseum, where you can imagine where the gladiators used to fight for their lives, uh, or St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, where you can marvel at its grandeur or be deeply troubled by where all the money uh, went from the selling of indulgences. But one of the most fascinating places to visit is the Roman Forum. Uh, the Roman Forum was the CBD of ancient Rome. It's lined with the ruins of uh, uh, ancient, um, government buildings where senators were elected and criminals tried. It has uh, vast open spaces where businesses were conducted and the locals went to buy their fruit and veg. It's where public speeches were given and triumphal processions took place uh, by Roman soldiers and the emperor. And if you ever visit the Roman uh, Forum, make sure you go to the southeast entrance. Uh, there you'll see the Arch of Titus. Uh, you might not think much of this uh, when you see it, but look closely to the frieze on the south inner side of the arch. You'll see the depiction of a Roman triumphal procession. So what's so special about this? Well, history tells us that about 30 years after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, around 66 AD, the Jews rebelled against the Romans. They took control of Jerusalem, and they formed their own Jewish government. But because the Romans were obviously in control and they ruled Judea, they weren't going to let the rebels get away with it. So in 70 AD, Rome sent an army to Jerusalem, laid siege on the city, led by the future emperor Titus. He laid uh, siege to the city in 70 AD on the 14th of April. And for five months, no Jew was able to escape and leave the walls of Jerusalem. But in five months of siege work, the future Emperor Titus destroyed the temple and sacked the city. For the Jews, 70 AD is one of the most devastating years in their entire history, if not the worst year. Their city laid in ruins, and at the heart and center of their life and religion, it was lost forever. No longer could they worship God in the temple. 
No longer could they offer sacrifices for their sin. And so Judaism was effectively destroyed in 70 AD. The world as they had known it had completely come to an end. But for the Romans, it was a great victory. And so Titus was celebrated for his leadership. And in 81 AD, the Arch of Titus was constructed in his honour. Now, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem might, might have come as a shock to the Jews, but it was actually expected by the Christians. That's because Jesus had already told them that was going to happen, and we see that in today's passage. But just before we look at it, I need to offer a word of caution, because it's a prophetic passage, and in fact, the longest series of teachings in Mark's Gospel by Jesus, and, and, it, and it comes with a lot of controversy. Many people have tried to read it and tried to understand it, but it's, it's really difficult, partly because of the difficult language, but also partly because of the imagery and the difficulty in understanding what it all means. And so different people have interpreted it differently. Some try to read between the lines. Other people try to find and discover and uncover and decode the secrets hidden behind the message. But that's not what we're going to do today. Uh, there's no secret to unravel or no hidden code to decode. Uh, and that's because we don't read the Bible like that. You see, even though the passage can seem confusing uh, to understand, the message is simple and straightforward. And it's this. Just as the world of Judaism will come to an end, so our world will come to an end. And we don't know when it's going to happen, just as they didn't know when it was going to happen. So we must keep watch and preach the gospel. Judaism has come to an end, our world will come to an end. They didn't know when their world was going to end, we won't know when our world will end. And in the meantime, we must be on watch, on guard, and preach the gospel. That's the message of this prophecy. Now last week we saw Jesus in the temple. Uh, and in today's passage, he's leaving the temple in verse 1. One of his disciples, awestruck by the grandeur and the magnificence of the temple and the buildings. So verse 1 reads, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Uh, the, this temple that they were looking at was Herod's temple. It was one of the most, uh, the, uh, one of the architectural wonders of the Roman world. An awesome, magnificent building. But for the Jews, it wasn't just their opera house. It, was a, it had profound significance to them. It was the most holy place in all of Israel and represented everything unique to Judaism. It was the glory of Israel, and they were proud of it, for it reflected their privilege before God, their status as the people of God that no one else could claim. It was the only place where sacrifices for sin could be made for anyone including themselves. But then Jesus says to his disciples one of the most astonishing things, it's going to be completely destroyed. First two. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone will here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Jesus is saying to his disciples, everything the temple means to you will be destroyed. Judaism will be finished. The world as you know it will come to an end. So when a doctor sits you down and tells you that you've got terminal cancer and you realize your world is coming to an end as you know it, your, your first reaction is going to be, how long? How long do I have left? And that's what's happening here. 
Jesus has said one of the most profound things, a life-changing moment that the disciples are about to experience, the end of the world as they know it, the end of Judaism, the end of the temple, the forgiveness of sins and life as they know it is going to come to an end. And so four of his disciples realized the significance and they asked Jesus privately in verse 4, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Now years ago uh, when Kylie uh, was pregnant with Maddie, uh, we had to go to these prenatal classes. Uh, we learned about the three trimesters of pregnancy and how to change a newborn's nappy. Uh, we were even warned about the colour of their poo, uh, just so that we wouldn't freak out when we see for the first time. And if you're wondering what colour it is, you can ask one of the mums. We also learnt about uh, the signs of labour. Uh, that is, when will we know when Kylie is about to give birth? Uh, we learnt about how uh, the baby can drop, the cervix will dilate, there will be intense contractions and the water will break. Uh, there are lots and lots of signs when a woman, a pregnant woman, is about to go into labour. And all these signs don't necessarily happen in chronological order, do they? They, 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 they can uh, for some, but not for others. Uh, it's different for one woman to another. Some w women's water breaks before they have any contractions. Uh, well, for other women, their water breaks just before giving birth. And in a similar way, Jesus responds to his disciples by describing the signs, not of labor, but the signs of the end. And it's not a blueprint. It's not a timetable. It's not meant to be understood chronologically. He's telling us that there are lots of signs, lots of things are going to happen, but don't think that this is going to be the order. And the point is the same. The end is going to come. The end is going to come and you need to be ready. We see this most clearly in the structure of the passage uh, and you'll see it on the screen. Uh, it's what scholars call a chiastic structure or what we like to call a sandwich. Uh, it's a Greek writing style to lay emphasis to the heart of what is being said. Mark uses it all the time in the Gospels. Now I tried to find a picture of a sandwich that would help illustrate this. I thought uh, the one on the screen would be a, a perfect uh, a sandwich to use because it's got French fries right in the middle. And so it must be a really good burger because at the heart and center of the burger are deep fries. And so like a sandwich, the bread and top, uh, the bread is the top and bottom. The start and end of the section in this half of the prophecy. And in this section, it's about false prophets. Verse 5 says, Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Men will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. And then towards the end of that section is 21. And that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he, there he is, do not believe it. And so here you've got the beginning of the sandwich. And it's about false prophets and false messiahs, people claiming to be Jesus or from God. And they have a message from God and they'll deceive many. So, don't be deceived. Now, the next bit of the sandwich is the tomato and pastrami, which is better than the, you know, white bread, a bit tastier, and it's about wars and rumors of wars and the devastating effects of war. So, verse 7, when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Verse 15, let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. 
That is, there's going to be war, run for your life, but some will be spared. And then we get to the lettuce and, to, uh, and mayo, and it's about Christian persecution. Uh, so verse 9, you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Then verse 12, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so we've got the outer layer. Now we get to the best bit, the heart of the sandwich. And what is it? Well, it's about the gospel. The most important sign of all these things taking place is the gospel being preached to the nations. And so the heart is in verse 10 and 11. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You see, this chiastic structure, this sandwich, uh, it, uh, shows us what is at the heart of Jesus' concern. There are going to be lots of signs and lots of things going to happen, but this is the most important sign, as it were. The gospel is going to be preached to the nations. You see, the, the disciples were concerned about the destruction of the temple. But Jesus is saying, my concern is the preaching of the gospel. That is, even though there will be false messiahs and some will be deceived, verse 12 tells us the elect won't be deceived. Even though there will be war and rumours of wars, verse 14 tells us that some will escape the war and be saved. Even though there will be persecution and some will die because of the gospel, the gospel will still be preached to the nations in verse 10. You see, Judaism is going to come to an end because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ has now come. The temple can be destroyed and no more animal sacrifices need to be made for the one true sacrifice for sin would have been made before the temple is destroyed. And that's what the next part of the passage is about. The death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So verse 24. Now here you need to follow a bit more closely to the text. Verse 24. But in those days... Now, your, your, your Bible probably says, following that distress, but I think the better translation to it, the same word in Greek can be translated differently. So following that distress makes it sound like there's chronology. But like I said before, we can't read it chronologically. And the word can also actually be understood or translated as with. But in those days, with that distress, along with that those things happening, along with the destruction of the temple, what else will be happening? The sun will be darkened, and the moon will now give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. You see, Jesus is describing here, along with the destruction of the temple and the end of Judaism, is a cosmic, universal, significant event that will impact the entire world. And what might that be? How would the destruction of the temple and the end of Judaism affect the entire world? What is this cosmic event? Well, the context of Mark tells us what it is. So in Mark chapter 15, verse 33, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and about to die, when the Son of Man is about to take upon himself the wrath of God, to die an innocent death for guilty people like you and me, to pay the price of sin, what happens in the middle of the day? 
What happens? What is this cosmic, universal event that even affects the stars and the sky, the sun and the moon? Well, in the middle of the day, as Jesus hangs on the cross, in broad daylight, God switches off the light. It goes dark. It goes dark. In Mark 15:33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the morning. For three hours, the world shut down. For the Son of God was hanging on a tree. This cosmic, universal event was taking place because it was not going to affect just the temple and Judaism, but the entire world. And after Jesus' death and burial, three days later, he rises. Forty days later, he ascends. He goes into the cloud. The people watch him go into the cloud, coming to his Father, going to his Father, going from us, coming to the Father. And so that's what we see Jesus tell us next. Verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. We, we tend to interpret and think that this is when Jesus comes back and comes to us. No, this is about Jesus coming to the Father. He's coming to the Father. This is about his ascension. Jesus, Jesus alludes to uh, Daniel 7. He alludes to it a couple of times in this passage. And the reference to Son of Man is one of them because the reference of the Son of Man is about the, the Son of Man, the man that God appoints to be the Messiah, to be the one who established the kingdom of God. And so Jesus does that when he ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But that's not the end of the story, isn't it? Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He has established the kingdom, but the kingdom is not fully realized. And so what must happen still? The gospel must be preached. The gospel must go out. The good news of salvation to all nations must be preached by who? Not by angels, but by you and me. Not by angels, but by the disciples. And so here you have to look closely again, verse 27. Now in your Bible, the, 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 the translation is, and he will send his angels and gather his elect. But the word angel is actually simply messenger. So often when we read messenger, we think angel, because they come with the message of God. But messenger is someone who has news to give. You're a messenger if you have the gospel. The disciples were messengers because they had the message of the gospel to deliver. And so here we see verse 27. I think the, the way to understand it is this. And he will, Jesus sitting on his throne, will send his messengers, that is, disciples of Jesus, to gather his elect. That is, preach the gospel. The elect is out there preach the gospel and gather them into the kingdom of God before Jesus returns from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And so the question here is then, when will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed and, and Jesus take his throne in heaven? When will the world as we know it come to an end and the gospel is preached to the nations? Well, Jesus tells us within the lifetime of the disciples, Verse 30, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now up until this point in the passage, Jesus has been talking about the temple and Judaism. He's been talking about his death 
and his resurrection and his ascension. He's talked about the preaching of the gospel to all nations. But now he turns his attention to his return. You see, with the coming of Jesus and the end of Judaism, it was the beginning of the end. God began winding up history 2,000 years ago. And eventually the world as we know will come to an end as well. Because the creator of heaven and earth, the owner of this world including you and me, is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And the question is, when will Jesus return? When will he come to bring this world as we know it to an end? Well, when I was at uni, I um, was given a book by some Christian friends, really devout uh, Christians. It's called The Bible Code, and it's written by Michael Drosnan. Now, Michael Drosnan, he argues in this book that that there's a secret message in the Hebrew Bible. And to decipher it, you have to do two things. You have to rearrange some letters in the Torah, in the Old Testament Bible, into a graph. And then you have to find a key to unlock the code to decode this secret message. But thankfully, some aliens have given us this code and they've dropped it into the Dead Sea. So all we have to do is go to the Dead Sea, find this code that the aliens have left, and once we've rearranged these letters, we're about to decipher the code and work out exactly when Jesus will return. Now for you, it might sound a bit far-fetched, but this book had become... New York sellers, uh, New York Times bestseller. Now, my very committed Christian friends at uni believed it. They gave it to me. They wanted to convince me. And they even believed that Jesus was going to return precisely in 2005. Just to show how old I am. And because it was so soon, they wanted to become missionaries. But what does Jesus say? When will he return? Verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And aliens. No, no, actually, that bit is not there, aliens. The aliens don't know either. I don't know about you, but I can't see a hidden message here. Nor secret code of any sort. The plain reading of scripture is clear. The angels don't know, Jesus doesn't know. There are no aliens mentioned here. Only God the Father knows. Only he knows when Jesus will return and bring all things to an end. You see, the point of the passage isn't to work out exactly when Jesus will return. All the signs that we've talked about have been fulfilled. The temple is destroyed. Judaism has come to an end. The the sky did turn dark. Jesus did ascend. He has established the kingdom of God. He has sent his messengers out to preach the gospel, to gather the elect, and when that is finished, he'll return. You see, that's why Jesus is saying, keep watch, be ready, be alert, not work out when I'll return exactly to the day or year. Verse 33, be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. We don't know because we don't need to know. Since 70 AD and the destruction of the temple, authentic Judaism has ceased to exist. Not only has it been impossible for any Jew to offer a sacrifice for sins, the site of the Jewish temple is now the site of a Muslim mosque to the south, 
and an Islamic shrine to the north, known as the Dome of the Rock. You see, the fact that Judaism has come to an end means that our world will also come to an end. You see, two-thirds of Jesus' prophecy in this passage has already been fulfilled, everything apart from his return. And so if the temple has been destroyed, Judaism has come to an end. Jesus has died and risen and ascended and has established his kingdom and is preaching the gospel through his messengers and gathering his elect. If all that is already done, all the signs have already been fulfilled. The only sign, the only thing left is for Jesus to return. There's, there's nothing else we're waiting for. And if all that has already been fulfilled, it's logical to believe that the last will be fulfilled too. Jesus will return. He's going to wrap up the world. He's going to bring it to the end, to an end. The world as you know it and as I know will come to an end. That's the logical conclusion of what Jesus is saying. It's just that we don't know when it's going to happen. It could uh, happen any time, any day. We could be showering and it happens. We could be on a run when it happens. We could be boarding a flight and it happens. We could be about to get married and it happens. We could be in the middle of labor and it happens. It could happen at any time because all the signs are fulfilled. We just don't know when. It could be today, next year, a thousand years' time. We don't know. Christians for centuries have been waiting. But what we do know is that the gospel needs to be preached. People need saving. That's why Jesus hasn't returned because messengers are still being sent out to preach the gospel to gather the elect. All the elect have not yet been gathered. That's why Jesus hasn't returned. So 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that you should perish, but all, that all should reach repentance. People like Michael Drosnan are obsessed with nailing Jesus' return date. They're always thinking about it, talking about it, always looking for signs and posting their findings. But for most of us, that's not our problem, is it? Our problem is that we don't even think that the world's going to end. And we live like that. We live like that's never going to end. And so we settle and become attached to the world. We live like Jesus will never return. And so we find comfort and, uh, and meaning in this life and in what this world offers. And so we become complacent and comfortable. We prioritize the here and now and tie ourselves to the pleasure of this world and not to the glory to come. But we remember that our world's going to end, just as the world of Judaism has come to an end. Then maybe we might take our own discipleship a bit more seriously. Because it's only those who believe till the end will be saved. And that's in verse 13. Only those who believe till the end will be saved. If we really believe that Jesus might return at any time, then maybe we might be more fervent in sharing the gospel. Because if time is short and we don't want anyone to perish, especially those we love, then maybe we're willing to pluck up the courage now and not tomorrow to share with them the hope we have in Christ. If we realize that the best is yet to come, then maybe we might start to lose our attachment to this world and become less concerned about all the comfort money can buy, how well our business or share portfolio is doing, and more generous with what God has given us. 
If we live in light of the end, then maybe we'll be more forgiving and less vengeful. Not vengeful. Because we know that Jesus will come and right all wrongs. Being a disciple of Jesus in a world that's not of Jesus and not concerned with Jesus and don't think that Jesus will return isn't easy. Because this world lives in the present for the present. And it will do all it can to preserve the present, to preserve this world as they know it, and will fight anyone who tries to disrupt their world. But just as it would be foolish of us to live like we don't have cancer, if we actually did, we'd be foolish to live like Jesus is not going to return when in fact he is. So friends, don't be deceived, but be discerning. Don't be alarmed, but be alert. Don't be worried, but be watchful. Don't be guarded, but be on your guard. For our King, our Lord Jesus Christ, will return and take us home. Amen.